When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 338, recording on Thursday, November 7th, 2019. Jeff O'Neill, here with Rebecca Shinsky, we're coming to you from a website about books called bookriot.com. Rebecca, hi. Hello. Uh, I was telling you right before we recorded that I had too much coffee this morning by accident. I'm like sitting here looking at my hands like, are those mine? So <laughs> yeah, hopefully, um... hopefully the water is going to kick in soon, but anything could happen here. You never know uh, what you're going to get here. A couple follow-up things. Um already got a couple nice emails about the Romeo and Juliet podcast. Oh, a really great. Nice that was really fun. That. Uh, I don't. I just forwarded a couple of them to you, Rebecca. You may have not seen it yet. But uh, next week, we are going to do a buy-sell-hold on some of the fall's big TV literary adaptations or literary-adjacent shows. So if you want to watch along and you know have, have them under your belt for that show, we're doing Dickinson, the Apple TV Plus show about Emily Dickinson, sort of. Um, funny that we're coming off the Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet because there's a vibe to that Dickinson mm-hmm. show that feels like Baz Luhrmann's Emily Dickinson kind of from what I see in the trailer. Um, that's gotten good reviews. You and I were talking about this yesterday about how surprised, as much as we were befuddled by who that show is for, it seems to be the best reviewed of the Apple TV Plus shows. We're going to do that. We're going to do the first episode of that. We're going to do the first episode of HBO's adaptation of the Watch of Watchmen. Um, and then it's also playing on HBO, which is actually a BBC production of the first episode of the new adaptation of His Dark Materials that is also, I believe, available in the U.S. through HBO. If you're in jolly old England, it's BBC uh, 47, I think, over there. They play, they play TV through the radio in the U.K. It's very strange, but I still <laughs> clearly don't understand the BBC. So if you want to watch first and be ready to sort of see how your reactions line up with ours, that's great. Come into a cold also fine. If you don't want to listen to it, I think you're wrong and making a life mistake, but that's your choice. Um, also, well, do you, what's, it's that time of year, Rebecca. It is that time of year. It's my favorite time of year, not just because the holidays are great, but because we get to do holiday gift recommendations on the show. So the show. in a couple of weeks, we will be recording the episode. So if you are looking for a recommendation of books to give to anyone in your life or you want to treat yourself to some books mm. and you would like our advice about that, you can email us podcast at bookriot.com. We answer those questions on air in the order we receive them. So, you know, your best shot is to send us an email lickety split. And our email address yep. again is podcast at bookriot.com. A couple tips. Now we've done this a few years. I've got tips for people sending recommendation requests. Mm. Comps are great. I liked X, yes. Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. Hated A, B, or C. Also very useful to us. Um, and if it's for somebody else, the, the trickiest ones for us are somebody else. They don't really read books, so we need something else to hang our hat on. We can do Swiss Army recommendations. I'm not sure they'll succeed very well, but 
do what kind of movies do they like sure. what kind of tv we mm-hmm. you know um an orthogonal comp would be very helpful to us there as well if you would like to remain anonymous, like if your partner or whoever you're shopping for also listens to the podcast or for whatever reason, just let us know yes. in the email not to say your name. Yeah. Okay. Let's do the, our first sponsor and we'll get into this week's news. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, um, I've got to tell you, I'm tiring of the Macmillan ebook story, oh, and not because too. I actually think it's a, it's maybe a bigger, it's a bigger, it's definitely a bigger deal than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. I'm a little tired of the discourse around it, and, and I'm, and I don't blame anybody. It's just the way that it is. There's a lot of motivated reasoning. Let's put it that way, and. No one is thinking of it from Macmillan's point of view, which I understand, and maybe we shouldn't be thinking from Macmillan's point of view, but no one really seems to even acknowledge that we're in this new paradigm about digital book lending in libraries, and that maybe some thinking about it is warranted. Um, and then so this, the big piece that dropped this week about it, a lot of useful information. I also think some misleading information from... Overdrive, Overdrive, Overdrive Steve, I guess is uh, <laughs> the, the person, Overdrive Steve, um, who is the founder and CEO of Overdrive, whose name in front of me, I don't have his last name in front of me. I Potash, guess maybe his, first, maybe, maybe his first name is Overdrive and his last name is Steve. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. That's how much he loves his job. He's changed his <laughs> name. Yeah. Um, so basically, the, the, the thrust of the article is that Macmillan's discourse about why they're doing it. The the headline is Macmillan publishes a work of fiction and saying that the stats they're giving is all misleading and we shouldn't believe them. And here's my data, our data, Overdrive's data, because they provide most of the platforms that libraries use to provide digital books, whether ebook or audiobook, um, first. And here, here's some of the math about it. Um, 
I think it's worth reading if you if you care about this. The thing I would watch out for is I'm I don't trust the math about some of this. Um, they say, or Overdrive Steve says, that the cost per checkout for most Macmillan titles comes out to be six dollars and seven cents, which seems extremely high. Mm-hmm. The the logic there is that the average number of checkouts Macmillan ebook gets in its lifetime is 11.5. Okay. And you divide 11.5 by 60, and of course you get 607. No, you don't. You get 575 because I checked the math. So there's something weird going on there. The math is just wrong. But then they say, actually, the average Macmillan title is only checked out 8.5 times. But it doesn't say how they arrived at bounding what the average is that the median title because there is no average title is not a unit here um is it the median title is it the mode so there's a little fuzzy math going around there but if those numbers are right there's some interesting things you can find out about this and that's and i think they're trying i don't know i use the 60 dollars per ebook that was in the publisher's weekly article that people are referencing for the average titles an ebook that's a two-year license of the 252 checkouts whichever comes first but I don't know what the, they don't link. Overdrive Steve doesn't link to anything here. It's not clear. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. It's, it could be true. But since I can't check the sources, I don't. I can't even check my own checking. Um, and I don't know what it means to be the average title because some of the books are checked out way more than eleven point five. Yeah. The most popular books you might see drags everyone up. But then what does it mean for that? How many how many titles do we have to exclude to get to the average being eight point five? So do you see what I'm getting at there, Rebecca? Does yeah. that, do my concerns there seem reasonable or so, am, I be, am I cranky? Well, I am both just, could be true. I'm just catching up on this like as, yeah. we're, as we were starting to record. I hadn't seen this piece yet, but I think that I understand the math a little bit where he's he says the 11.5 average checkout includes bestsellers such as Fire and Fury and others, which by all accounts are outliers. But for the vast majority of titles, 75% of the Macmillan catalog. So I think he's talking about like, that 11.5 average is if you look at all Macmillan titles. If you take out the big outliers and you look at the vast majority of the titles, which is 75% mm-hmm. of them, an ebook gets checked out 8.3 times on average. But why that number? But why take out the why take out 75% rather than 80 or 50? That 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 part uh, is confusing yeah, to me. I'm not sure and I don't know I don't know how they arrived at it. Like in my um in my grad school training with statistics, you pull out outliers at the that are two standard deviations above and two standard deviations below the average typically, but that's a very right. small percentage. It doesn't add up to 25%. I think it adds up to like 4% maybe um, somewhere in that neighborhood. So I do not know. I wish, I wish there were a little bit more methodology on the page mm-hmm. here because one thing we have been asking for is, or yearning for really not asking because we didn't anticipate actually getting to see any of it is yes. for Macmillan to disclose some numbers about something, you know, like how much money is on the table here or what does this look like on a title by title basis and so i'm glad that overdrive has put some numbers out um but i think the framing could use some additional like methodology detail or some additional explanation of like what these numbers mean or what the context is for interpreting them yeah and and look overdrive is interested in maximizing the usage people use libraries for digital books and audiobooks. You have to say, I mean, that matters in these sorts of mm-hmm. conscious or not, there's motivated reasoning going on here. I think that 
Yeah, so I think the the frustrating part for me was like, oh, here's some data. And then I was like, oh, but I don't trust this. <laughs> There's some yeah. things I don't understand. It's like, oh, no. Um, it's like, oh, we get to have lollipops. Oh, but they're sugar-free. Darn it. Uh, that's, that's, that's a bummer. The other thing that occurred to me here, it says there's some very interesting data that they provide. I think the context and analysis of that data I'm more skeptical of. But here, this is what was surprising me the most for the vast majority, 75% mm-hmm. of Macmillan's catalog. Is that the vast majority? Anyway, uh, we don't have a, a great, it's, it's, it's more than a simple majority and it's more than a, anyway. Um, an ebook was checked out the average of 8.3 times each. Okay, so you're like 8.3 times divided by 60. That's a lot of money a mm-hmm. library is paying on a per checkout basis. My first thought was, should we be doing this? Like a library buys hardcovers and print books at basically retail. I mean, my understanding is you could, they could buy them from Amazon for 40% off. Right, they could buy a hardcover mm-hmm. for sixteen dollars and put it on their shelf. That's my understanding. If I'm wrong, I, I really do want to know. Podcast at bookriot.com. So if that gets checked out fourteen times, it's a dollar. Are, are we really paying that much on a per checkout basis for audiobooks and library books? Because here's the thing: I go on Libby, I put a whole bunch on stuff on hold because it takes forever to get the book I want. It takes eight weeks, so I have a whole bunch of things on there so I can read it. But if something comes, I don't want to read it or I'm middle of something else. I just will return it. I'll just go ahead and send it back the audiobook. Is that effectively costing the library six? Like, I've got some, there's some, my own usage I need mm. to look at. Like, am I being a sustainable ebook um, and audiobook consumer? So, th- that's an interesting piece out of here, too. The other thing that makes me think about this is if the average is 8.3 times and Macmillan's new deal is that that first title you buy that's day and date is discounted to $30, which is what Publishers Weekly mm-hmm. says, that's part of the deal. Is that first one's $30 but every subsequent one is 60. Most titles, libraries are going to pay a heck of a lot less for because that's 30 divided by 8.3. That's right. Most titles are going to be 33% cheaper on a checkout basis, which is just lost here. I haven't seen that anywhere in the discourse that actually there's a lot of these checkouts. The average checkout using Overdrive Steve's own terminology will be 66% cheaper. And no one's talking about that. And I was like, why isn't anyone picking this little nugget up? Why am I cleaning up all this laundry money? No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I'm like, I'm not sure what the right answer is. I think $8, $6 per checkout, like forget that the 30 That's cent so difference much. in math between mine overdrive, that seems bananas to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, I'm shocked by that number. Okay, so then if Macmillan's getting that much per checkout, then it doesn't seem like there'd be that much marginal benefit over selling the e- I, that's the I also don't get that part yeah, it either. Just, I'm not sure I got questions on the other side too after all this. Yeah, it's uh, you used the term motivated reasoning earlier and that's one of the frustrating parts about this is like I would like Macmillan to tell us how much money is on the table and to put their own math out and then we've mm-hmm. got Overdrive's math out here and then it would be like the dream, right, is that there's some mystical Honest Scott, the last Honest Scott's. Yeah, disinterested third party who's like, behold, here is the truth about how Mm -hmm. ebooks and libraries work. Um, And it would be great to see that. It feels to me like some of this is also connected to like that publishing produces way more books than publishing probably should produce um, for how much money typical books bring in and then libraries trying to keep as many of those books available to their 
patrons as possible means spending money on titles that get checked out an average of 8.3 times, but very many books get checked out zero times. Yes. And what is what's going on there? And then also, how do we be better library patrons? It's been, I think, encouraging and interesting to watch libraries do some consumer education for their patrons around like, here is the thing that Macmillan is doing with ebooks. And here is how it will affect you as a library patron. But like, there are all kinds of costs that libraries absorb all the time. And like, they don't need to enforce new rules about what patrons do. But I think plenty of people are interested in seeing their libraries be sustainable. Like, I don't know how much a Penguin Random House ebook costs or how much the average ebook from all publishers put together costs a library per checkout. But if I did know that, or I at least knew what my own requesting behavior did, like what you're saying, like, should I request fewer books? Should I only like put things on hold if I really intend to read them? What, like, what is the best behavior as a patron that I can do to support my library would be incredibly useful as well. And there's just, Mm -hmm. it feels like we're seeing sort of inflection points at several from several different elements of publishing and of library usage. And everybody has their own argument to make. And when you're trying to fit the numbers to your own argument, it it's hard to be someone like, you know, interpreting it from the outside and know what to trust because Overdrive has something invested. Macmillan has something invested. We don't mm-hmm. have good like third party or objective data that's tr- we don't have data transparency in publishing and that's very frustrating yeah and it it might be the case to use this example maybe what i should be doing is prioritizing libby reads for less popular titles things mm-hmm. i know i'm you know in the minor that if i'm going to read them i know this is not one that's going to cap out its whole its um checkouts in its 52 week window Right. Mm-hmm. Or excuse me, the 52 checkout. It's confusing because it's 52 checkouts over two years. And I'm getting my units confused. It feels like that should be weeks, but it's not. And not go, let's see, check out the thing that probably will hit its cap because then they're going to go buy another. Or, you know, if I can minimize the need to go get more licenses to, I don't know, where the crawdads sing or something else like that, which then I should go buy that by Powell's or whatever, which is exactly what Macmillan wants me to do, right? Mm-hmm. They wa- I think what I'm figuring out is it's really these, this 20, 25% of the data cannot be an outlier. That's not what we mean by outliers, but that's what they're saying here. This top 25% of titles, those are the ones that by putting this cap on for the first 12 weeks, I can't, I, I'm getting lost about what the embargo window is exactly. Those titles that have the highest demand I will go then buy those because they're in the highest demand and I can't get them. Whereas the other ones um, that no one cares about or very few people care about, the whole time will look about like it would to me normally because there's only 8.3 of us going to check it out over the next two years. So it doesn't matter if there's more than one copy available. And to some degree, that makes sense to me. Um, But the more I look at it, boy, it would be great if we could come to some agreement that a library system should pay a publisher X pennies per checkout. And it's just, that's the way it goes. And that it's a number that the publishers and the library, the librarians could both be equally unhappy with, which means it's fair. (laughs) Yep, that's how you know you have compromised. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the problem is, and we haven't heard any publisher say this out loud, is there a number 
that librarians would pay that you would check out to infinity on, that would scale to, you'd be happy with any number of those checkouts happening at that price? Mm. Or do they really consider every checkout to be replacing a higher value? Or do they, they consider the average checkout to replace some number of buys or purchases that are worth more to them? Like it all might, might only be three buys, for example, but it's worth more to Macmillan or PRH than that one library checkout at three fifty per per unit. Um, do they consider libraries a profit center or a cost of doing business? And it feels like the tacit acknowledgement we're getting is they really consider them a cost of doing business. That, that that's just sort of a mm-hmm. morality tax. Like we we use the term morality tax on being a publisher, and this is an acknowledgement that that's the case. That really, and we're trying to pay fewer morality taxes, which f- feels like you're being more immoral, which I'm not sure if that really holds up, <laughs> but I feel like that's what people are feeling like. I'd like to pay fewer morality taxes means I'm sinning more. That's kind of the, the implicit argument there. <sighs> All right. Anything okay. else? No. Uh, I'm you done can hear my frustration. I don't, I don't know. There's not going to, see, that's, there is no honest, there's not going to, no one's honest. I have my own motivated reasoning because I'm frustrated. So I, I'm, I'm doubling down on my frustration. But, I feel like I'm getting buffeted back and forth because I'm actually. I think both of us are actually interested in the discussion. Yeah, but it's not actually a discussion. It's not. A, yeah, that, there's not. There's not enough like useful information to right. have a discussion about. Um, in, in other motivated reasoning news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take us through that one. <laughs> the um, commissioners of Citrus County, Florida, have unanimously denied a request from their local library to spend $2,700 annually on digital subscriptions to the New York Times because the paper is, quote, fake news, and they, quote, agree with Donald Trump. This happened during a discussion on October 24th. All five members of the con- the commission, all of whom are middle-aged men who appear to be Caucasian, um, rejected the proposal. It was coincidentally the same day that the Trump administration, coincidentally the same day that the Trump administration announced it was canceling federal agencies' subscriptions to the New York Times and the Washington Post. Um, they said they don't want the New York Times in this county. They don't agree with it. They don't like it. It's fake news. I'm voting no. Um, They made a point to say that their decision was not based on a lack of resources and that the 70,000 library card holders who live in their county could just get home delivery if they want it. Um, Ironically, in the same meeting, those same commissioners, (laughs) this is beautiful, declared October as Friends of the Library Month. Um, This is concerning for many reasons, but the first one being that um, the commission is technically nonpartisan. And uh, these commissioners are clearly putting politics ahead of the public's needs. Um, Sandy Price is the advisory board chairman for the county's libraries, and she told the Citrus County Chronicle, someone's personal political view does not have a place in deciding what library resources are available for the entire county. Libraries have to ensure all points of view are represented. And I think it's that all points of view are represented piece that we keep coming back to when we talk Mm. about people wanting to remove books from libraries or wanting to remove books from reading lists. And now we are talking about one of the two most reputable sources of reporting, uh, responsible journalism uh, in our great nation, um, being made inaccessible to library patrons. Like, first of all, 
not every one of your 70,000 card holders can just get an at-home <laughs> subscription. Right. The very existence of libraries is predicated on the assumption that every member of the that not every member of the community can afford to pay for all of the reading material that they might want access to, nor should they have to pay for it even if they could. That access to information in itself is a right and is a good uh, and that that information should include news. Um, so I think this is the first time that we've seen news about this. I don't know if it's the first time that this has actually happened yeah. in a library system, um, but folks who hold public office that are supposed to behave in a nonpartisan, apolitical fashion, clearly bringing their politics into it to limit the library's ability to serve their community is very upsetting. And this is not censorship in the you know, strict definition of what censorship is, but making news unavailable to your, like actual news unavailable to your public because you don't like what it says and the president happens to disagree with it is, um, I have like zero words to I know fully articulate how upsetting and problematic and dangerous that is. I was going to say, if you look at the picture in this um, link of these clowns, but I realized what a, what a terrible injustice to clowns um, such a such a description would be. They look like you know the Trump uh, mm -hmm. press corps, um, and they're really making an argument against libraries, right? And saying they could get it at home, and it's basically they're saying we shouldn't have libraries. Like if <laughs> if not, I'm serious. Yeah. If if your library, if you say your library doesn't have the New York Times. Maybe, I think it's maybe the one thing your library should have. Like, what should your life? If you had to pick one subscription to something for a community of seventy thousand people, do you is your number one overall draft pick something other than the New York Times? I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm just saying mm -hmm. what's what, what's better. Yeah. Maybe a local paper, I guess. Whatever the, the 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 Citrus County Trump Tribune or whatever it is. This is a really frustrating situation. I was actually um, floating in our company Slack about calling the New York Times fake news, like, does that rise to the level of uh, uh, slander, mm -hmm. right? Because you're saying something's fake, knowing, you know, with an intent to, you have to have the intent to hurt them, and then you have to, the Times would have to be able to prove harm, as Jess, who's our, our elapsed lawyer who works with us, said, well, you have to be able to prove harm. Well, this is $2,700. Right. That, I mean, you could if the Times wanted to do it. Now, another thing is, that came up in that discussion is, I think the New York Times and the Washington Post and some of these news sources that people actually do trust, especially those of us who, who vote blue on the whole, I think they're making crazy hay out of the Trump administration. Like, th mm -hmm. I have a digital subscription because the New York Times be I got after election day um, and I canceled and then went a different direction. But like, I'm not the only one I know that's proactively patronizing news organizations. Mm -hmm. So I don't think in aggregate Trump is bad for the New York Times because the rest of us are kind of rushing into it. But there are people who can afford to do it, and it does send a terrible message. Like, what paper would they get? I mean, w would they get some really right-wing conspiracy theory rag? For, like, I, there's not even, a, there's not even a, they want the Wall Street Journal? Like, would they even take the Wall Street Journal? I have no idea, which is a more conservative, but it's, it, it's within the sort of middle range of what we consider actual journalism. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very despondent about this. Um, I'm really upset and I feel very badly mm -hmm. for Sandy Price, 
um, who's on the advisory board, and they're just and they have, and I don't get they have to go line item by line item for appropriations. Like that's a curious. I, I don't know. I know yeah, libraries are know. confederated and different, but that that was a curious. Piece, yeah, presumably, yeah, presumably these commissioners aren't reviewing a list of every single book that the libraries want to bring in. Yeah. So how this subscription to the New York Times was singled out and then rejected is a whole other question. You yeah. know, I'm gl- I don't know um, what local elections Florida had earlier mm. this week, um, but this did happen before local elections. If you are in Citrus County, Florida, this is certainly something to be paying attention to you know i think this kind of stuff is going to backfire um but it's worth having a conversation about that these things are even happening um Mm. is is just appalling and here we are here we are Uh, yeah okay um Let's see, where do we want to go? I guess we could follow the agenda. That's a novel (laughs) idea. Um, But before we do that, let's do another sponsor. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We have a correction. Can you take, do you want to take the correction? I didn't even actually, sure. I don't have my head around the yeah, correction. Yeah, so um, one of our former contributors, Margaret Aldrich, now works for Little Free Library, and she was kind enough after hearing last week's show to email us that um, some of the info in the piece we were referring to about Little Free Library was confusing, and then I think our interpretations mm. of it were also confusing because we were confused. Um, so she has sent me a great link to nonprofitquarterly.org, which covered the dispute that's been going on between Little Free Library and the family of Little Free Library's founder. And it seems like it boils down to Little Free Library has the registered um, copyright or trademark for the term Little Free Library. And they only... Um, they have only really pursued anyone who's been selling things labeled Little Free Library that are not actually from Little Free Library. The Todd Bowl was the founder and he was the executive director of Little Free Library until he died last year. After his death, his brother created a for-profit business called Share With Others. Share With Others will make and sell boxes to be used for little libraries, not capital little free libraries, and they say they will donate the proceeds from this for-profit business to literacy nonprofits. So earlier... This mo- or last month, the journal Sentinel published a story about the creation of the for-profit, which is called Share for Others, and the start of the trademark clash with the nonprofit. And Little Free Library filed a trademark infringement notice with Etsy, where Share with Others was selling their boxes. And Etsy took the Share with Others page down. So mm. now the conflict exists between Tony Bowl, who is the brother of Little Free Library founder Todd Bowl. Tony Bowl is also the one who created Share with Others. And the executive director of Little Free Library, 
Greg Metzger, who is running Little Free Library now and um, defending the trademark. So Little Free Library is not out taking down people who put up boxes to give books away. Is the <laughs> they're they're no. not doing that, and they don't have any intentions to do that. It seems that um, Tony Bowl and his share with others business infringed on Little Free Libraries trademark um, or Little Free Library perceived it to be an infringement and has pursued that. So I have some questions about why when you're related to the person who created Little Free Library, you go create a business to sell things that aren't Little Free Libraries, but that are basically Little Free Libraries to donate to nonprofits instead of just participating in the nonprofit. Um, But That's the correct version of the story. Um, Thank you, Margaret, for reaching out to us. And we'll have the whole link um, to this in the show notes. It's from Nonprofit Quarterly. Well, I mean, Rebecca, sibling relationships are always clean and clear, and the never never goes wrong. Families, so it is a sh- uh, this is I think this might be the first sibling dispute I've ever heard of. Well, as we know from um, Harper Lee, people's estates are always honored and managed in the way that they intend yeah. them to be. That's a weird move to. I'm going to start a for-profit company that donates its proceeds. Isn't that what a nonprofit is? That is strange. Outside of the legality and everything, I guess I just don't think of. I wonder if the average person who has what one would recognize as a little free library in their yard knows that there's a little free library organization. Like it seems like it's more of an idea than an organization. I guess what I'm saying. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not like I'm trying to think. It's not like the Scholastic Book Fair. Like, which is a thing. Like, this is more of a, this is like, like a book. It's like saying a bookmark. You're, you're going you're to trademark the idea of a bookmark. Like, Wait a minute. That's yeah, not what like, we're talking what, about here. I wonder, just out of curiosity, I do wonder, like, what percentage of these, like, leave a book, take a book, sharing libraries are actually from Little Free Library and registered with them? And what percentage are just, you know, people built a thing that they stuck in their front yard or yeah. in their neighborhood coffee shop or, or whatever. But Little Free Library is not out there slapping trademark infringement lawsuits on people who put boxes up in their front yards. We are sorry for our misunderstanding and speculation. Yeah. It's um, a smaller problem than that, but messier. It's, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like. Yeah, family issues are things. tanglier, but yeah. um, does not affect the average user or host what are you if you have a little free library host of a little free library um that's a great question owner owner proprietor proprietor there we go proprietor facilitator (laughs) yeah right barkeep the bookkeep (laughs) bark bookkeep a bookkeep um this is a couple stories from libraries about adjusting i guess we should have put this close to mcmillan Mm -hmm. thing just that we're we're marking the t- rising of the tide here a little bit of libraries taking actions in response to Macmillan's ebook throttling. This says beginning November 18th, users access the Indianapolis Public Library's online collection of ebooks and e-audiobooks will see reductions in the number of such materials that can be checked out or placed on hold at one time. So this is basically saying we want fewer people. We will, one way we're going to reduce the number of holds is to make their fewer holds available to be placed. Mm-hmm. Wow, I almost. <laughs> didn't get that right at all. Um, library pages will see allowable checkouts reduced from 35 to 20, and items placed on hold reduced from 20 to 10 at one time. This is one thing I've wondered out about, too, in my own e-lending life, is like, do I need 15 e-books on hold at a time? I I know why you do it for physical books, because you're making runs to the the library, right? And you physically have to go back to return them. But if returning them is as simple as pressing a button... 
I guess there are some people out there who are reading 12 books simultaneously. I would guess they are outliers in the actual term and mm-hmm. the actual usage of outlier. And does that, because is that something that would help some of this problem? Um, so that's interesting as well. Period for ebooks and e-audiobooks will default to a shorter, default to a shorter 14-day period. That makes sense to me too. Mm-hmm. I think Multnomah has a 21-day period. And I also, the thing we've talked about before is some more alerts about you got to the end of this thing, would you like to return it? I think could help with turnover Yeah, um, would be interesting. Reduce wait list times and things like that. So this is a response, but it's not just about Macmillan. It's sort of looking at their whole system, which I think is interesting. I'm, I'm not thrilled that it was brought about by something that's going to make libraries jobs harder. But there's a bunch of questions I've had about, like, does this make sense anymore that seems to be um, at issue there? And then the other story is, where's this other one? Nashville. They're just straight up boycotting Macmillan. Yeah, all ebook purchases from Macmillan beginning this past Tuesday, the 5th, until the spring of 2020. Answer me this. Do you think, how many standard deviations outside of Macmillan's expected response to this are we at this point? We're at least one, right? Were were they expecting even one major library system to boycott all titles? I don't think so, especially based on the Macmillan CEO's message that we read last week. Like, it seems to me that they believed that they had done due diligence in talking to a bunch of libraries and librarians, finding out how they were going to respond to it. They're not completely surprised that people don't love this policy, but this has to be like more people and louder than they expected right. the response to be. I think probably by an order or two of magnitude. It's Yeah, I think um, so too. I don't think they anticipated a boycott. I think if you smell a boycott when you're in the planning stages, you sit down and really ask yourself, is this going to be worth the negative PR? And we've already concluded it's it, it almost definitely is not worth <laughs> all right. of this, that all of these shenanigans and all of the um, public outcry about it can't be great for Macmillan. They would really need to be saving just an astronomical amount of money by making these changes to make it worth upsetting librarians. <laughs> like who wants librarians right. to be on the other side? Like you want librarians on your side, um, mm-hmm. just as a good in the world. And I, it has to be, I think it would have to be surprising to them how big this reaction has been. Um, I, it would be incredibly satisfying to have someone from Macmillan acknowledge that. Even if it was like, yeah, we're still sticking with this because here's the number that makes it worth it. Um, mm-hmm. Just some acknowledgement of like, wow, boy, did we really underestimate what was going to happen here? I think in the underestimation can be compounded by sort of internet amplification effects. Like if you ran a Monte Carlo simulation of this a hundred times, there are times which maybe people think of it as like, well, you know, times are changing and taxes go up and you got to pay more for toothpaste. And now this thing is, you know, like it it feels more in, in, in peace with things changing and it didn't turn out that way. And it's picking up steam. And if anything, you know, my working theory is that the affection people have for libraries writ large and the anything you do that looks like an impingement and maybe is this this really could mm-hmm. be a, a degradation of the utility of libraries is going to have an outsized chance of being a thing out there in the world yeah. um mess with libraries at your peril 
I would say, especially systemically, where anyone like I say that, and then we see this New York this New York Times boycott thing. It's like, well, that's one library and it's one thing. This was all libraries everywhere simultaneously. <laughs> and and the people most affected by it are the ones most likely to have digital tools by which to amplify their, yeah. their displeasure. So maybe, you know, hindsight is often twenty twenty, but maybe foresight could have been forty twenty on this right. particular one. I don't know the, what would have been reasonable. The there. thing that we'll probably never know the answer to is like were other publishers considering similar moves and have no. they been watching this and changed their mind? Yeah, their no math would have know. to be considerable to say, you know what? Look what happened <laughs> with Millen. We should do that. Right, yeah. <laughs> Hard to imagine that being true. Um, let's see. Let's do Goodreads. Well, let's do another sponsor. And Goodreads Awards Live is kind of a big deal. So let's mm-hmm. talk about that next. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay. I always find these interesting and not interesting at the same time. Same. I always want to see them. I always look at them. I look forward to them. And then I'm like, okay. I'm not disappointed. I'm also not... There's no, there's no prefix to di- appointed that's um, <laughs> the opposite. You know, I'm not uh, up appointed. I just like that makes a lot of sense, as we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Tends to be a regression to the mean. Did you look at any of these categories especially closely? Not super closely. Um, I was looking at fiction. It's been an interesting year for fiction. Um, so best fiction has an interesting diversity of titles and topics there. Um the I think the frustration that we've had several years running is that Goodreads has begun doing over the last several years, Goodreads has done a better job of having diverse and inclusive mm-hmm. lists when they roll this out. This is the first round of voting. And then often the case is that as the voting goes on and as the decisions are left up to the broad reading public, the lists regress to the mean and become pretty whitewashed. Um, I think there's hope that there's a point, I think there's potentially a point in the future, I hope that we get to see it happen, where the reading public, where publishing is diverse enough, the books coming out are diverse enough that um, readers are just reading more diversely, whether they're doing it intentionally mm-hmm. or just as a an effect of what's available to them, that the voting doesn't narrow down and sort of thin out what um what the results are but glad to see things like on earth were briefly gorgeous by ocean vuong be nominated there's elizabeth strout olive again like you get your big sort of lit fic hits of the year your darlings fleischman is in trouble margaret atwood for the testaments which i'm just going to be mad every time the testaments shows up on a best of anything list this year <laughs> has the highest average rating of any of the books on the fiction list <sighs> gonna make some noises look people are wrong i don't know what to say right right. (laughs) (laughs) um it's like we always also i want to split hairs about some of these things like daisy jones and the six is in best historical fiction Um, that was a weird choice too i thought yeah i find that to be a strange choice just because it's 
about a band from the seventies, um, made up a made up band from the seventies. It doesn't strike me as historical fiction. Um, how things well, riddle me this categories. is, is how is Testaments not a mystery or thriller? Mm. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I get why, but, or science fiction. Well, no, it's not science fiction. There's no speculative fiction. Well, what is it? Well, it's and, dystopian, right? So it is yeah. just speculative fiction. There's and no special there's... technology in the Testaments, right? No. There's no like No. There's nothing that says it couldn't for reasons of Newtonian physics or yeah. quantum well, mechanics. Well, Margaret happen. Atwood has a policy from these kinds of books about like not writing in something that hasn't like hasn't or couldn't happen right. that we don't scientifically yeah. know could already occur. Um those like sort of differentials between like nonfiction includes she said yeah. excellent book then also Lori Gottlieb's maybe you should talk to someone which I I read and loved but I think it reads like a memoir not straight yes. it's not reported yes. like straight nonfiction so why isn't it in the memoir category I just have a lot of questions about did these. you see the review count on Goodreads for normal people no because we had slagged not slagged. I think we had reported with a wry smile that normal people was the hipster lit darling of mm-hmm. New York for the year, but it actually didn't sell that many. But it has the most ratings of any 12, of the fiction titles, yeah, right? Twelve thousand reviews and a hundred and almost one hundred and twenty thousand ratings. Hmm. Now it's been out for a while, so yeah. again, it's had because. But compared to the Testaments, which I'm sure it's outsold, the Testaments has fifty six thousand ratings. And I believe that Normal People is there's an adaptation coming. I feel like I've been seeing people talking right about casting, and so that's probably boosting awareness of that title. While we're on it, did you see today Oprah announced the next uh, book club pick? I didn't. Did what is it? it? It's on this it's on this list of fiction. So oh. you guess. It's on this list of fiction. Oh, so it has to be new. Well, I mean, it, it, I don't know that it has to be Oprah make her own rules. Yeah. Um, but like just from I'm just giving you a subset from Yeah, okay. So she usually goes with things that are like as they're coming out. So it has to be the Elizabeth yeah. Strout, right? Very good guess. Woo! Yes, that's right. Okay. That's it. Which I'm gonna is, f- does very well for my buy rating. On um, oh, Olive again. right. I forgot we talked about that one. Yeah, I've actually never read Olive Kittredge, so maybe I'll do both of them. <laughs> I really like them. I do. I yeah, really, or I, I I'm sorry, like, I read uh, the uh, Olive Kittredge. I really liked. I, I feel like Olive, Olive Kittredge is probably like a line drive right into my wheelhouse, but I just have I would be there. curious to see, to he- hear your reactions to it now because it's about, you know, a, a, a cranky old woman. Mm. Um, being living in this small town, and even it feels like we're different politically and culturally about representations of women's anger. I, mm. I'd just be curious to hear what your reaction yeah. versus sort of the standard take of the day um, would be, because I feel like and and the, did um, Elizabeth Strout have that in mind at all with Olive again? Um, oh, interesting. Well, if only we had a podcast where we could read about. books and talk about them, Jeff. I don't know. We should start one of those. It'd be nice to be able to talk about books and reading online every week or maybe a little more often. Uh, any other category you want to look at before we move along? Let's look at food and cookbooks. Cause I was doing that. And then let's look at debut novel. And then Close we'll to my heart. Um, Notes from a Young Black Chef. I'm glad to see that on there. Yep, that was great. That's a good one. I really enjoyed that book. Um Glad to see Save Me the Plums. I love Ruth Reichel. And I have Burned the Place by Ileana Reagan, um, but mm. I have not 
read that yet. Um, I'm also intrigued by Forking Good, a cookbook inspired by The Good Place, because The Good Place has had so many amazing punny restaurants show up in the background that I just want to know, like, is it all recipes for things that you think are going to be good, but are just a little bit disappointing? (laughs) like frozen mm-hmm. yogurt or as the like the joke goes in the show um but there's i i think therefore i clam chowder and <laughs> right this is you need this book macaroni mm. and soccer cheese <laughs> well it is i mean we know this but like the the number of ratings like happiness is baking only has 90 ratings yeah like, i think that food writing and cookbooks should be in separate categories and that food... Uh, I, I could not agree. And, I, I'm, a, I'm nodding so hard I'm going to need to see a chiropractor. And that food yeah, writing, totally. for most of the time, food writing should be with memoir. That great books about food are either memoir usually or they're like essay and cultural exploration, maybe just regular old nonfiction. Um, I don't think that it's I don't think it serves readers to put the cookbooks and the food writing together. People who are going after food writing are not necessarily looking for cookbooks. They are not. It feels like apples and oranges to me, and they shouldn't be competing with each other. Um, So I do. I care about this. I'm fired up about that a little bit. (laughs) Well, you read both. So in a way, at least you're looking in the same bucket. I don't buy cookbooks. I, I love prose about food. I'll be that specific. But like... I could, you know, I the most number of recipes I want is like buttermilk graffiti or um, the greatest mm. cook in the world. Like mm-hmm. there's one at the end of a chapter, but it's it's more like a, an illustration than it is pragmatic. Yeah. Um, like plant based on a budget, being in the same category as notes from a young black chef seems, you know, not almost nonsense, <laughs> almost yeah, nonsensical. And so many different things can make a cookbook good. Like some cookbooks yeah. just have excellent recipes. Some cookbooks, the food is fine, but the writing around the recipes is what really makes it. And some of them do both really well. Like um, after we both read Buttermilk Graffiti by Edward Lee, I bought Smoke and Pickles, his cookbook. And mm. the the writing in the cookbook about not just the recipes, but about the way he thinks about food and what food has meant to him and how he arrived at these recipes is really wonderful. Like it's a cookbook that you... S- that well, at least I sat down and read, um, mm. and th- it's been just as enjoyable as food writing as it has been for cooking out of it. And the food writing in salt, fat, acid, heat is really wonderful. There's a lot of just stuff to learn, even if you're not a cook in salt, fat, acid, heat. That in a different, it's like partially memoir. So I mean, no sort kind of did everything in that book. But I don't love food and food writing and cookbooks being put together. And as somebody right who does love both of those things, and I buy and use a lot of cookbooks, I read a lot of food writing. I think they should be separate. Let's move over to debut fiction for a minute. Um, boy, the most number of views for anything on this list I've seen so far is for the Silent Patient by uh, Alex Michaelides. Mm. Um, that was everywhere. One hundred fifty-four thousand rating. It has been everywhere, but just borne out mm-hmm. that more everywhere than anything else I've seen on here. I'm trying to think. In mystery thriller sells. I'm like, what would even be? What would even be close that you would think of this year? I don't think there's. You know, Becoming was last year. Yeah. So. I- I think my sister, the serial killer, has been all over my radar, but I think that's because a lot of book rioters yeah. loved it, and I loved it. It's great. Yeah, I loved it too. It's great, it's great. but it's I um, am not sure it's gone big. Um, Fleischman is in trouble. 
kind of yeah. classic lit fic novel about marriage stuff. Um, the Secrets We Kept by Lara Prescott, which I think I sold on our buy sold, <laughs> and I'm probably going to be wrong about. Mm. Um, I've read. Well, more look, of the- we should get we should yeah. take credit that a lot of the books. I mean, just to make our list of books to even yeah. consider buy sell holding about, we got you know most of those books have been. That's true. Talked, I was surprised not to see the Rushdie on the fiction list because mm. it sold fairly well and the reviews were pretty good. Yeah, I'm interested um, in seeing the Water Dancer Tanahasi coats on here yeah. for the reasons of it's a good novel but not really a great one but mm-hmm. a very it is a very good debut though um very good and i've debut. read several of i have read several of these i read more fiction this year i think than i realized i did um i also i really liked the most fun we ever had by claire lombard that's a big like multi-generational family domestic drama um and red white and royal blue by casey mcquiston i've been seeing just like at friends houses who are people Mm. who casually read books but don't read them professionally Um, and i think that's um, got some potential to go some places too the water dancer on historical fiction is tough Mm -hmm. tough yeah i mean it's Fan. I mean, uh, again, there's not neat categories, right. but like people with magic, it's tough to put in historical fiction. It'd be better off in fiction than historical fiction. Um, but I think, I think these categories, it's always, it's been true the last few years that these, our categorical thinking hasn't caught up with the polygeneric mm-hmm. moment we're in. Yeah. Like it feels like we're putting these, these, this, these new apples in old buckets to some degree, um, which is interesting to see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Any predict? I think that many ratings for for normal people would make it a good dark horse candidate to beat the Testaments. I'm just looking. What else? What mm. could beat the Testaments in best fiction? I just don't see any. There's just just regression to the mean. Just so many people, but that many rating that many ratings, but they don't like it as well. Are people going to advocate for normal people? Be like, yeah, really. I don't the- know. How many people read normal people and not the Testaments? I guess would be my question. Uh, and of those people that read both, are a lot of them going to pick normal people over the Testaments? Uh, difficult to say. Well, and I think there's also a measure too of like how deeply did you love the book? Like, on Earth, we're briefly yeah. gorgeous has sixteen thousand reviews, which is you know like many fewer than normal people, but people who love that book, like really love it and talk about it as having an impact that will last longer than this year. So I think there's some of that too, is like, what, what do you care enough about to show up and go vote for it? It's also in the young adult category. I've read zero of these and I'm only tangentially aware of what goes on the young adult, but usually if there's a big thing that bubbles up, A, Mm -hmm. I will know about it and B, generally read the top couple of popular things. And it doesn't seem like there one. No one really broke out. At least didn't break into my consciousness, which is very subjective. But I use that as my filter because it is my filter. I thought I would hear more about on the come up. Angie Thomas's book. I know it had some publication delays. I'm not really sure whatever happened with that. But as big as um, the hate you give was, it didn't seem like on the come up. Again, I have no idea if the reviews are good, if there are any pro- whatever it was. I just am surprised to be like, oh yeah, on the come up came out this year. I, I thought I would have been like, yeah. yes, it's on the come up. That was the, the that reviews. Was the I'm looking now. The reviews are good. The average is 4.3 stars out of yeah, 6,500 reviews. Yeah, that's a great yeah. average. Um, I wonder. Am if, I wrong though? I mean, I guess no, I, 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 check I, my I agree. Like it, I also have not read any of these, mm. and YA is 
on my radar less than other genres are. I think that um, The Hate You Give was just so big yeah, that this is right. this did well. Like looking at these ratings, the folks that I know who have read the book um, spoke very highly of it. It was nominated for the Kirkus Prize for Young Readers Literature and a bunch of other things. So I think by all accounts, readers of this book loved it, but it didn't break out to the level that The Hate You Give broke out and how could it like very few things at all ever do so expecting the same author's second book to do the same thing but I think that probably has a good shot Angie Thomas is doing really important work that resonates and is certainly applicable in the current political moments I think that probably has a good shot the only one that has more reviews is five feet apart which got turned into a movie Mm. which is about people I think two people with um autoimmune disorders or something that they, you know, it's kind of like they have to stay in their bubble or they're going to get sick. Oh. Hmm. Or one of them, some six feet apart. Weirdly, the description says they have to stay six feet apart, but the title is five feet. Maybe that becomes a, wait, I thought you said six. No, it's five. <laughs> we can get a foot closer. I feel closer to you than I've ever felt. It's because you are. Um, that's it. That's all I got on Goodreads. Me too. <laughs> What hero of the week? And then let's go. Yeah. So the hero of the week this week is actually 650 heroes. I think this is the largest group of heroes that we've ever had. But in Norman, Oklahoma, the central library branch was moving and they put out a call, help us move the books from the closed, like the just closed library branch to the new one that's across the park. So a crowd of six... 150 people who started out holding hands past the library's collection of children's books, of fairy tales and folk tales, person to person down about 1,700 feet from the 53-year-old old public library central branch to the new gleaming $39 million library building. Um, The Pioneer um, Library System spokesman Keith Merckx said that people were giddy. They called it bittersweet because of their attachment to the old library. And then there's some great interviews. This is from the Washington Post, but some great uh, quotes from people who were members of the book brigade, including like a couple who have lived in Norman for 30 years. And one of the Mm. very first things that they did when they got there was get a library card and they talked about why they went to participate in this. Um, And there's a little video with some kids also that you can watch members of the 650 person human chain moving these kids books from the old Norman, Oklahoma library to the new one. I tell you what, like, I don't care if they actually needed this or not. I'm glad they did it. Like, I don't yes. know. I don't know if it was necessary to get volunteers. Presumably it was. But even if it weren't, like, I would love to see communities do this more often of like, let's just get the people out who want to support the library and let's do nice things together. 650 people holding hands and moving children's books is a thing that we need in the world. So my hat is off 650 times to you residents of Norman, Oklahoma. It's a lot of hats. You've it had is that a much lot coffee. of hats. You put, you put on 600, I've only put on 644 hats today, so you're, <laughs> you're a couple ahead of me. We see this, we've heard this is a thing, the book chain happens from time to time, and it's always mm-hmm. delightful. One it's thousand, wonderful. Delightful every time. The, it, it never, this is a moon that never wanes in its delight. <laughs> also, I just didn't realize until right now, one of the great scenes that never was in a Gilmore Girls that feel like it should be in a Gilmore Girls. Mm, totally a Some Stars sort of Hollow Stars moment. Hollow book chain is yep. something that definitely should have happened. Yeah, congrats, uh, Norman. Okay, Rebecca, next time um, we're going to talk about TV. I'm really excited. Me too. Did you see the HBO, sorry, did you see the HBO Max launch lineup? 
there no. is a wild amount of stuff. I'm well, well, maybe we'll talk about that, but yeah, wow, I'm still, I mean, I'm already in because Mackenzie Davis on station 11. So the rest is just gravy. It's all gravy. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, let me, I'm going to pull it up real quick. Cause there was one that was like, Oh, sorry. And this is terrible audio. Um, I'll look for it next time. All right. I'll cut well, all this out. No one's going to hear this, right guys. You didn't hear this. <laughs> those of you listening. Okay. <laughs> Rebecca, we'll talk to you next time. Have a good one.